There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi. It's more popular than being French. See you in there. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I am Dan. Hi, Dan. I am Susie. You are Susie today. Susie is my alter ego, you guys. It's pretty mm-hmm. funny. Would you like to weird me out at home? I know. I'll Because of all the doppelganger stories, mm-hmm. I'll just, whenever we have one, I'll be like, I'm not Lindsay. Who are you talking to? I'm Susie. <laughs> but really, I'm Lindsay. Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited to share some more horror with everybody today. Great. Yeah, I'm pumped up about these stories. Okay, you haven't told me anything about them, nope. so I don't know what we're getting into this week. couple quick announcements, and then, yeah, we just get right into the show. Okay. Uh, another Sam Hamer original graphic tee in the store at badmagicmerch.com. Uh, his stuff is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really just love his designs. Logan uses them from time to time and just uh, really, really good horror graphics. A true creep shirt. It's a cool str- uh, strio. Oh, my gosh. Strigoi. <laughs> I wanted to throw another O in Strigoi. Okay. Well, you can do what you want. Mm-hmm. It's vampiric design. You have to see it for yourself. Uh, you know, even if you don't buy it, hope you hope you check it out. Just mm-hmm. appreciate the design. And then a uh, last reminder that in large part, thanks to our Roberts and Annabelles on Patreon, we here at Bad Magic Productions were able to donate $13,800 this month to the Ocular Melanoma Foundation in honor of former Bad Magic listener Alex Roach. Great. Uh, to find out more, go to ocularmelanoma.org. Mm-hmm. Now, how many stories do you have for us today? I have three this week. Oh, you have three? I have three. And I have an okay. unintentional theme. But mm. I don't want to tell you what it is. I actually, well... I was going to say I have an unintentional it, – it, it's it's a loose theme, so I'm not even going to try and claim it. But I, I have two stories. Okay. Uh, both are decent size. Uh-huh. The first involves the former Sacramento home of a serial killer, the Dorothea Puente Murder House. Does a serial killer still haunt the home on 1426 F Street in Sacramento? Creepy. Maybe okay. so. And then for the second story, we head to Russia and meet academic and occultist – Anatoly Moskvin and his very strange dolls. Hmm. Uh, what may have this very, very odd man conjured? Such a creepy tale. Okay. Uh, are you ready for the first story? I am. I You said dolls, and I'm mm-hmm. immediately looking at the doll behind you mm-hmm. over your shoulder, and I'm like, did, 
Did his eyes just blink? I'm immediately freaked out. <laughs> this is a real. This is a, a doll story unlike any other we've told. Okay. It's um. I I can't say much okay, about it without tipping fine. my hand to it. That's okay. I'll be over here taking notes in my handy dandy notebook and my fancy pen I got. Oh, that's a really cool. It has pen. a crystal on it. I have a really I have a really cool pen what too. Is, what is yours? Mine it, it has a little um, sword on it. It looks very like uh, medieval. Yeah. Like a knight would use this pen. Yes. So we want to thank it's our- It's heavy. It's awesome. Yeah. Jamie and Kenny sent these in. Uh, Jamie is the listener. And wow. then she got, well, I'm assuming it's a she. Jamie got her fiance into Scared to Death and he does woodworking just for fun. Yeah. And so he made these pens. These are super, super cool. They're very solid. Yeah. I know. I like it. Yeah. Me too. And and very just, yeah, very unique. That's I know, what an awesome fun? Thank you. I know. I thought it was so cool. And thought, th- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like those should be sold at like a Ren Fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And thanks for telling uh, other people about the show. You know, we've been very fortunate lately where... Uh, listenership has really gone up the past few weeks across Bad Magic Productions on Is We Dumb, Time Suck, here on Scared to Death, and so thankful. It makes me so excited. You're the numbers guy. I, I love numbers. You love numbers? It, 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 I feel like, I feel like it, I'm not doing anything. I'm not swinging the bat any differently, I don't think, but getting more home runs this week. I, I compare it to baseball stats. Okay. Because I love baseball stats. Uh-huh. And then I look at our analytics, I'm like, oh, we're having a good season. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just come here and do the show and deal with all the other stuff. Yes. And then all streaks come to an end. No, and then it's no, oh. no, no. Sorry. I, I thought we were doing baseball stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's going to be terrible. No. Okay, okay bye no. guys. Oh, gosh, dang. Oh, Joe. Joe. Debbie fucking downer. <laughs> all right. Are you, uh, are you ready for the first story? I am. I am. A little Let's bit of setup. Not much. Okay. Uh, if there are places, buildings, homes, ancient ruins, etc., that are haunted, and there sure seem to be a lot of these places based on the stories we've heard and all the additional stories we've looked into and haven't told yet. Uh-huh. Why do so many of them seem to have been the scene of something violent and awful, like murder? Why does a murder seem to be the beginning of so many hauntings? Will we ever know exactly why some murders appear to echo for years, sometimes for centuries and counting on the grounds where they occurred? We've talked about bloody castles, haunted lands where someone or many people were slaughtered, and a few so-called murder houses here on Scared to Death before, notably the Los Files murder house in Los Angeles. Today's story is similar to a lot of the haunted tales that began with murders we've told, but maybe scarier than most, because while it's typically the victim or the victims of the murderer that haunt a dwelling in this tale, there seemed to be some pretty good evidence, pretty good evidence that the killer that once roamed the rooms of the Dorothea Puente murder house taking lives may still be there today. Time now for the tale of is she still trying to kill? Back in the 1980s, if you came across Dorothea Puente, at that time in her 50s, with her stark white hair and kindly demeanor, I certainly wouldn't fault you for assuming that Dorothea was a nice, harmless, motherly type. She appeared outwardly as nothing more than a middle-aged, soft-spoken Sacramento native who took in a few boarders to make an extra buck when money was tight. Someone who was quick to help others who were down on their luck. Someone who wouldn't hurt a fly. But that was really not the case. Dorothea was a cold-blooded sociopath who cashed in the social security checks of the elderly and disabled boarders living in her house. Then, to make sure they didn't have the chance to tell authorities what she was up to, she'd slip them some sleeping pills to weaken them and then smother them in their beds and kill them. Some of them would then were then buried in her backyard. The first killing seems to have taken place in the early 80s. In April of 1982, Puente's friend and business partner, Ruth Monroe, rented a space in an apartment Dorothea owned. And shortly after moving in, Monroe died from an overdose of codeine and Tylenol. 
When she was questioned by police, Puente said that Monroe had become depressed because of her husband's illness, and the police officially ruled her death a suicide. They would later come to believe she was Dorothea's first murder victim. More would soon follow. In 1985, she killed 77-year-old Everson Gilmouth, put his body in a box, dumped it in the river shortly after she got out of prison, where she'd spent the previous three years after being caught drugging and stealing from 74-year-old pensioner Malcolm McKenzie. My God. On January 1st, 1986, the box containing Gilmouth's body was recovered by a fisherman who called the police, and when police arrived and opened the box, they found the decomposed remains of an elderly man. The body wouldn't be identified as Everson Gilmouth for another three years. Whoa. During that time, Puente collected Gilmouth's pension and even forged letters to his family. Oh my gosh. Numerous other victims are suspected of following Gilmouth into the grave while Puente, while Puente collected his pension. Neighbors finally began to grow suspicious of Puente when she stated that she adopted a homeless alcoholic man named Chief, or nicknamed Chief, to serve as a handyman. She said Chief or she had Chief dig in the basement and remove soil and garbage from the property. Chief then put in a new concrete slab in the basement before he too disappeared. Oh, buddy. In November of 1988, another tenant in Puente's house, Alvaro Montoya disappeared. Montoya was developmentally disabled, had schizophrenia. Mm. After he failed to show up to meetings, his social worker reported him missing. Police arrived at Puente's boarding house and began to search the property on November 11th. <gasps> My birthday. Mm-hmm. 1988, they found a human leg bone and a decomposing foot in the yard. What a great birthday present. Dorothea insisted she knew nothing about the body, and the following day, as authorities converged on her home to excavate the entire yard, she asked for permission to go to a nearby hotel to meet a nephew for coffee. It was only after she left, investigators found a second body, and when they went to arrest her, she had vanished. She was luckily found four days later at a California motel after a man she'd been drinking with at a bar turned her in. He didn't like how interested in his disability checks she'd become after he told her about them. And then he heard about her on the news and called authorities. Nice. She was already trying to get another victim. Following her arrest, Puente pled not guilty to nine charges of murder. She was ultimately convicted for the three murders that had the most corresponding evidence in 1993, sentenced to two life sentences in prison. Puente eventually died of natural causes at age 82 in March of 2011, never having admitted to her murders. Hmm. She maintained right up until the end that the people that had died in her house were people she had just tried to help, and they had died of natural causes. And now some people think that Dorothea Puente is haunting her old home at 1426 F Street, still haunting the house where she ruthlessly murdered an estimated nine people. And maybe she's not alone. Maybe some of her victims are there with her. Dorothea herself claimed the house was haunted haunted following her arrest. Following her incarceration, when prospective buyers came past the house, many of them reported smelling a foul odor, even though the house had been professionally cleaned and vacated following her arrest. They all seemed to notice that the foul odor, odor came from a specific, my God, came from a specific room, the death room, where Dorothea would leave her unconscious victims to die. Numerous people who toured the house reported seeing putrefied bodily fluid seeping into the rug and onto Ew. the wooden floor. And a few people claimed after Dorothea died in prison that they heard a woman's voice say quietly from inside that room, Die. Shortly following Dorothea's death, the building fell into the hands of a property manager who abruptly quit after experiencing something terribly unpleasant. He claims that most of his time was spent in the basement making sure all the plumbing and heating systems were working as they should have been. There was a little apartment on the lower floor, too, but he didn't have a key for it. He knew from what the owner had told him that it was vacant, but for whatever reason, 
the apartment to him always seemed occupied. He knew that there was nobody there, at least he thought he did, so why did that room always spook him? For a while, he was able to brush off his spooked feelings and do what he needed to do. He only had to be in the house for a few minutes at a time. And then the footsteps started. Those were harder to brush off. He started hearing footsteps behind him going up and down the stairs, but every time he'd look back, no one would be there. He told himself his brain was playing tricks on him. Then after hearing those footsteps for the third or fourth time, he decided to go check that downstairs apartment door, the one that was always locked. And this time, the door handle turned. But he didn't go in. Something inside him told him he didn't want to meet whatever was now home, especially while he was alone. The next time he heard the footsteps and then went back downstairs to find the door unlocked, he made the mistake of opening it and stepping inside. Immediately, he said, he felt drained of all his energy. His breathing got heavy, his mouth dried out, he felt disoriented. Actually, that isn't quite the right word for it. He said it's hard to explain how he felt. He'd never felt anything like it. And then the door slammed shut behind him. Total darkness. Oh boy. He reached in his pocket for his phone and couldn't quite grab it. His hand clumsily fumbled around for it. His arms felt heavy and sleepy. His whole body felt sleepy, like he'd been drugged. Then he felt pressure on his face. Something in the darkness, pressing something against his skin, making it harder and harder for him to breathe. He was being smothered. Oh my God. And then so softly in his ear, he heard a woman's voice. Let go. It's okay to die. Oh my God. He fumbled his hand against the door behind him, found the handle with all the strength he had left. He was able to barely turn it, open the door. He started up the stairs now, first crawling, then slowly walking, then running up the last few steps. Behind him, the footsteps followed again, except this time they were heavier, louder, stomping. When he made it to the second floor, the door he passed through was supposed to swing behind him automatically, but now it didn't and it stayed open. He looked back as he ran out and saw something in the darkness, felt something staring at him. He thinks he was attacked by the spirit of Dorothea Puente. Had she just tried to claim another victim? A few evenings later, the property's owner called him, saying that the door between the first and second floor wouldn't close no matter how hard he pushed. He asked the property manager if he could come by and work on it later. Fuck no. Nope. The property manager knew there was nothing wrong with the door mechanism. There was something wrong with that house, something he couldn't fix, and he quit that night. He thinks Dorothea's spirit did something to that door to try him to try to lure him back to fix it. And he thinks if he did come back, he would have been found later dead inside that house. Not long after this, a couple bought the residence at a public auction. They were fully aware that the home's history, uh, what, the, what it was at the time, knowing it had been nicknamed the murder house. That didn't scare them, they said. I thought we could put a fresh coat of paint on it and make people forget, the new owner said. Get out of here. But according to paranormal vet investigators, they were wrong. The couple made the mistake of moving an elderly relative of theirs into one of the lower rooms, a, a woman named Juanita Holmes. The same room that property manager almost died in. And Juanita soon reported feeling a presence in that room, noticing it when she began to fall asleep at night. She began to have trouble breathing in the evening. She felt a weight. She quickly moved out. Before she left, she saw. She says she saw the spirit of an elderly woman who she presumes was Dorothea. She described the spirit as having a smile on her face, but that she wasn't smiling in her eyes. Juanita would wonder later, learning about Dorothea's story, if Dorothea's spirit was considering doing something to her, smothering her in her bed. She wonders if Dorothea is still there, still looking for victims. 
rather than try and sell the home. After feeling a dark presence from this same downstairs apartment and hearing odd noises around the house, seeing movement out of the corners of their eyes, the new owners decided instead of trying to sell the home to lean into the house's sordid past. They started offering Dorothea Puente murder house tours back in 2013. Okay. But then the tours stopped, it appears, around 2019. What happened? Did they just not sell enough tickets to stay open? Did the pandemic put an end to the tour? Or did something scare the owners into shutting it all down? Did they suddenly worry that the ghost of Dorothea might do more than just give someone some goosebumps? Yay, yay, yay. There's really no uh, update on why they closed? Not that I can find. Huh. Yeah, there's articles, but they just, I mean... I mean, the, that what that travel channel, I think Zach Baggins, I, I believe his crew investigated this house. Mm-hmm. Other paranormals have investigated this house. Sorry. You know, it got a lot of press several years ago. And then people, I guess, just kind of moved on. And okay. I okay. couldn't find much, uh, really anything from the last year and a half, two years. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I have some pictures. Because mm-hmm. this Dorothea pointed, we've actually considered uh, making her a time suck subject as well. I didn't know about the haunting part when we looked into the murders. But here's a picture of her, uh, you know, when she was arrested. She just looks like somebody's (sighs) granny. I know. She looks like a grandma. And she does have evil eyes, though. And and it could just be a a, it could be, you know, it's a mugshot. Mm -hmm. B, it could just be it looks like she has very deep set eyes. Uh So it could just be shadow. But yeah, there's, there's an – I mean, I, I can never tell when I'm looking at pictures of people like this if I think their eyes look evil because I know what they've done. Right. Or they just look like there's something wrong. You yeah, know, like yeah. if, I, if I hadn't known the story and looked at her, what would I think? Because I find in all the pictures of her, I'm like, oh, yeah, something's not right there. Right. But, but I mean, ah, how, how much am I putting that in there? that, yeah. Here's another picture of her uh, just to give a different look. Oh, yeah, no – <laughs> Doesn't she actually kind of look like she a, does? She looks. This is a picture of uh, Estelle Getty, aka Dorothy's mom, Sophia from the Golden Girls. Ugh. But she actually does kind of look like Sophia from the Golden Girls. Do you know how much I love the Golden Girls? I do too. It's a great show. It's a great show. Kyler won't watch it because it has a laugh track. Oh well, yeah. He's okay. so ridiculous that way. But Monroe also loves it. We like to put it on and cook and bake together. Nice. Ah, uh, yeah. It's a great show. It's great. It uh, ho- it holds up. It does. Uh, yeah, the writing's great. And then one more picture of the real Dorothea Puente. I mean, she does kind of look like Sophia. And she then, does. And then the Dorothy Puente Murder House at 1426 F Street in Sacramento. This is uh, the last picture. Oh, maybe. There oh, there is. we go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yep, the last one there. And I mean, it's, it's kind of just a nondescript house. No, there was lots like of different nothing. photos, and but they were all from this angle, so I just chose one. I mean, it's actually kind of cute. Right, right. right. If you didn't know the history of this house, no, I'd be like, like oh, oh, cool. A cute little house. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a little tiny little craftsman or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, okay. My notes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, the first thing you said was like, you know, why does it seem like murder is the basis of haunted houses, right? Yeah. And I, I think we've probably explored this a little bit, but do you think it could be because whatever happened in that house, those spirits, like they didn't see it coming or they never got their peace or like they went into the next world, next life yeah. in just such a violent way? That they hang around trying to find their own peace or have their, I yeah. don't know, I trying to make I, amends. Like like in Dorothea's case, well, she was still killing people, but maybe maybe other ghosts come back to make amends, to make it right. I don't know. I wonder if it is that unexpected thing when it's like a murder victim. Because mm-hmm. I, I always thought about like, well, battlefields, so many people die in battlefields. Why aren't those, you know, always extremely haunted? Maybe they are. Maybe they are. But also, 
you know, you're going into a battle knowing that there's a decent chance Mm -hmm. or, you know, a realistic chance that you're going to die. Right. Not that you're expecting it, but if you're just randomly murdered by somebody, I mean, odds are you did not see that coming at all. Right, right. So it's just such a different kind of emotional situation or, mm-hmm. or tone where it's, yeah, like you said, so unexpected. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it is interesting, though, where, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of supposed, you know, haunted places are the sites of some terrible tragedy. Something yeah. bad happened and it's been haunted ever since. Mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. always, but a lot of times it feels like. And then you said that Dorothea claimed that the house was already already haunted. Right. And I thought that was towards the end. My thought on that was... She, some of the victims she killed, mm-hmm. maybe she was still feeling their presence there. Oh. Like she created the haunting. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. What I was thinking is, I mean, you said at the beginning that she's a sociopath, but what I wondered oh, yeah. is, was there something haunting the house already that had possessed her? Right. That was causing, I mean, it it does sound like it's more than that because of the social security disability check situation yeah. where she wasn't just killing because she was being told to kill. She was doing it for financial gain. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't know enough about the true crime side of her story yeah. to know if she was still, if like, I don't know if she was committing crimes or not like those crimes before that house. Oh, so there could be a chance oh, oh. that she moved there and then started doing that, which would lend, you know, credence to the possibility of what you're talking about. Maybe. That, you know, like the house uh, has some hold on her. Because that, that's another thing that comes up with a lot of haunted house stories is, is there something just there on that spot on earth? Right, right. That like, uh, you know, uh, is pushing people to doing, towards doing horrible things. Right, right. Like some sort of yeah. vortex or uh, portal or, yeah. Exactly. Could be a variety of things. Combo. Mm-hmm. That, maybe she would make a good time suck. Yeah, just it, it, it depends different. if there's enough information out there. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there might be. Okay. Um, okay. So, are you ready for the next story? This next one is so creepy. This is yeah. very different yeah. than. I like that little warm up. Okay. Okay. Great. Gonna head clear across the world from Sacramento now to talk about some very disturbing Russian dolls. Have we gone to Russia uh, on this show? We have. Uh, I can't remember honestly. I don't feel like we have, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I think I think this might be new territory for us. Okay. We're going to do it after a quick in-between story sponsor break. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Thanks for listening, Creeps and Peepers. A fair amount of setup on this one. Okay. Uh, In her later years, Elvira Moskvin lived in a small apartment in the picturesque city of Nichny Novgorod along the river Volga in Russia. And that city, I had not, I don't remember hearing of that city before. Maybe I just never heard it called Nichny Novgorod. Uh, maybe I just heard it called Novgorod before, but, you know, pretty sizable Russian city. Okay. I think like sixth biggest or something. Uh, she lived with her husband, Yuri, and her 45-year-old son, Anatoly. 
And the, uh, also, the family shared their home with Anatoly's collection of 29 disturbing Ooh. large handcrafted dolls, dolls he made. Oh. Elvira never cared for her son's dolls. She found them to be uh, creepy things with their cloth bodies, strange wax faces, garish makeup. She and her husband, Yuri, hated them, in fact. But their son, Anatoly, made the dolls himself. They meant the world to him, so they allowed him to keep his dolls, the sizes of actual children. Some of them even posed around their home from time to time. Their friends and neighbors were bothered by the dolls even more than Elvira and Yuri were. Uh, people gossiped. Of course they did. They wondered uh, why would they let their 45-year-old son still live with them? They wondered what kind of man or what kind of man that age obsesses over dolls. And adding to the gossip was the fact that Anatoly seemed to be doing well in life. He could easily afford to have his own place. Oh, that is weird. Yeah, he was plenty handsome uh, handsome enough to find himself a partner, to start a family of his own, uh, staying with his parents and working on and playing with these dolls. It just seemed so terribly unnatural. Anatoly was a college professor, a published author, a well-known linguist and historian, a noted academic respected by his peers. Many of his peers thought he was a genius. He was a polygot who could speak 13 languages. Holy crap. Why was he still living at home? Why wouldn't Elvira and Yuri kick out their strange son, make him take his creepy dolls with him, and enjoy their remaining years in peace? Elvira couldn't bring herself to ask her son to move out. She actually felt sorry for his son. Anatoly had never been a social child. No matter how hard they had tried in his early years to set up play dates or ask teachers to try and help him feel included at school, he was very intelligent, but not socially competent. He'd just never been interested in other people. He'd always had his head buried in a book. Other kids thought he was so weird. Elvira remembered how he'd come home from school with bruises all over him. He'd been badly bullied. Yes, he had a good career, but also he still didn't have any friends. She still worried about him. She just couldn't ask him to leave. Not even when his dolls frightened her. And sometimes his dolls definitely frightened her. Time now for the tale of the living dead girl. One evening, like nearly every evening for years now, Elvira found herself again sitting across the table from one of her son's dolls, sipping a cup of strong, hot tea, trying to wind down for the evening before going to sleep. She was sitting across from Masha, Anatoly's favorite doll. My God. Most of the others stayed in Anatoly's room the majority of the time, but never Masha. She liked sitting in the living room or in the sitting room. Anatoly said she liked to be around the family. Anatoly had told his parents that it had been her birthday a couple days ago. Oh. And he'd insisted that they sing her a birthday song. He bought her a cake. He gave her presents. It was absurd. What the fuck? She had an entire birthday party thrown for her. It was ridiculous. It was disturbing. Elvira hated Masha. If she stared at the doll too long or thought about her too much, Masha left her feeling very unsettled. Along with all his other eccentricities, her son had a fascination with black magic. He was obsessed with death, graveyards, and the occult. And Elvira knew, she just knew in her heart that he had conjured something. Something that was now in the doll. Something evil, some kind of devil. Just now, Masha was bothering her more than usual. The doll was staring right at her with those button eyes and that bright red lipstick. Elvira thought about getting up, walking over to Masha, turning the doll away from her, but she couldn't bring herself to touch it. She hated the way Masha and the other dolls felt. Instead, Elvira stood up to turn the light off and she headed to bed. And then just as she entered her bedroom, she heard a noise, a musical melody, the kind Masha made when Anatoly pressed her stomach where he'd put one of his music boxes. She'd never heard the doll make this noise on her own before. It shouldn't be possible, but she just heard it and it scared her. Elvira stood, shaking her feet rooted to the floor for a moment. She took a minute to shake off the feeling. Sometimes music boxes just malfunction, she supposed. 
and then she climbed into bed with her snoring husband and fell asleep. She slept well that night, but she wouldn't sleep well again for many months. The next day would be one that Elvira would never forget. She woke up feeling fine, and then she entered the sitting room to find a trail of fresh, wet mud across her once clean floor. And her gut told her it hadn't been made by her husband or her son. Her husband was still in bed, and it didn't look like Anatoly had been inside yet. She checked his room and found it empty. It was always hard to tell if his bed had been slept in due to the pile of dolls on it. His bed was also covered in books that seemed to forever live on top of his bed. She'd assumed he'd slept in the garage again. Anatoly often slept in the garage, and he'd headed out to the garage the night before to work on his dolls late into the night. Still hadn't come back into the house when she'd went to bed. So who brought in the mud? Masha? She shuddered at the thought. After cleaning up the mess, Elvira sat down with her morning cup of tea while her husband still slept and her son was still not inside the house. As she sat at the table, something immediately felt different. She couldn't figure out what it was that first moment, and then she turned her head and looked at the sofa. A chill spread across her body, as she now registered the fact that Masha was sitting on the sofa as if watching the blank television screen. Oh. She'd been sitting at the table when she'd went to bed last night. Now she thought more about the mud. The mud led from the table towards the sofa. Elvira let out a scream and jumped to her feet. Yuri came rushing out of the bedroom yelling, Good Lord, woman, what's wrong? He was annoyed at having been woken up and confused. Elvira pointed towards the sofa. The, the doll, she said. She, she, she's, she's moved. She was at the table when I went to bed and when I woke up, she, she, she was there. She moved, Yuri. Yuri looked at his wife and now at the doll. He shook his head. He was worried about his wife. Lately, their son's doll seemed to be really getting to her. I'm sure the boy just came in to check on her in the night, he answered, disdain and disgust for his son and his voice. You know what he's like, dear, he continued. He needs to move out. That's what needs to happen. He's a full-grown man. If he wants to live with dolls, he should do it in his own house before your nerves give out. We're too old to be looking after children. Yuri then began making himself a cup of tea, muttering something spiteful about Anatoly under his breath while Elvira tried and failed to compose herself properly. She always hated it when Yuri spoke poorly of their son, but that wasn't what was upsetting her at this moment. What was upsetting her was Masha. The doll was watching her right now. She knew it. She thought once more about the trail of mud, but decided not to mention it to her husband. Yuri had a heart condition, and she didn't want to possibly terrify him into an early grave. A short time later, still feeling like the doll was watching her, Elvira heard the familiar sound of the key turning in the lock on the back door. Anatoly was coming in now from the garage. She stood up to greet her son, who looked like he hadn't slept in a week. Anatoly, she said, you're going to make yourself sick staying up all night. Anatoly rolled his eyes. You worry too much, mother, he replied, as he joined his parents at the table. And just what in the world are you doing trailing mud in here at all hours and moving dolls around, Elvira scolded. You're going to give me a damn heart attack, and then who will look after your father? I haven't been inside today, mother. Oh, boy. Anatoly responded as he looked over at the doll on the sofa. A strange and satisfied smile then appeared on his face, and he asked... Did you play with Masha? <gasps> he paused and then added, Maybe she's bored. At that moment, the familiar sound of Masha's mu music box rang through their home, playing again on its own, and Elvira jumped up in fear. Yuri also seemed afraid, and he too stared at the doll in disbelief. Anatoly was unfazed. He seemed happy. He was smiling. See? He said calmly. She's just bored. He then went over to the sofa to sit by the doll while his father held his trembling mother in his arms. I told you, Yuri, Elvira cried. There's a devil in that doll. His witchcraft has put a curse on this family. I don't know what's going on here, boy, but came Anatoly's father when suddenly he was interrupted by bang, bang, bang. 
The house shook and Elvira fell to the ground as she flung her hands over her head, trying to protect herself from the devil she believed their son had let loose in their home. Elvira, Elvira, dear, spoke Yuri while shaking her gently. It's just the door. It's just somebody at the door. Oh. And then he yelled at his son. He often, he often despised. Well, answer it, boy. Anatoly nonchalantly rose from where he was sitting, opened the door to see a police officer standing there. Mr. Moskvin? Mr. Anatoly Moskvin? He asked. Anatoly nodded slowly. I've come to talk to you about a local cemetery with a number of desecrated graves. Would you happen to know anything about that, sir? Nobody else cares about them, was Anatoly's odd reply. What in the hell is he talking about, boy? His father asked, confused, his mother now borderline sobbing. There have been a number of reports of desecrated graves in the cemetery down the road, the officer explained. We've been receiving reports for a long time about numerous cemeteries having late-night visitors vandalizing the graves of children, and those reports have led us here. Still on the floor, Elvira asked, What? Anatoly, what is he talking about? Please no, oh, please no, my son. No, she felt sick. The now way too familiar music rang again through the room, causing Elvira to release yet another scream. What the fuck? That goddamn doll, Yuri shouted. The police officer now scanned the room, clearly on edge, and then his eyes fixed on the doll. This doll? He asked, pointing. Pointing? She's just bored, Anatoly strangely explained again. As if it were totally normal for a living doll to be a real thing. He acted as if he found the whole situation tiresome. What was everybody so worked up about? The officer now walked over and picked up the doll, hoping to calm Elvira down a little bit before taking Anatoly down to the station for questioning. Immediately, the doll disturbed the officer. It was the strangest thing he had ever seen in his life. It was so odd to the touch, it made his skin crawl. It felt lumpier than a normal doll. And when he flipped it over on his back in order to investigate the music box, he heard something rattle from within the doll in a way he instinctively didn't like. Just what kind of doll is this, he asked. When no one answered, he now demanded, Where did it come from? Stupid dolls, Yuri replied. He makes them himself. He has a room full of them. Awful damn things. The police officer now began to undress the doll. Staring in disbelief, he suddenly looked a bit sick. He seemed repulsed by Masha as he set her down. You, you said there were other dolls, he asked. Yuri now led the officer to Anatoly's room. Meanwhile, Anatoly stood silently aside, awaiting what he now had to have known was inevitable. Oh my god. After carefully undressing and removing the faces from 29 dolls, Anatoly was taken away in handcuffs. The dolls, of course, were not dolls. They were the dead bodies of children. Ah. The officer that day discovered 29 mummified corpses wrapped in cloth, their faces covered in wax masks with makeup applied over the top. The majority had music boxes installed inside their chest cavities so they could sing or talk. Oh, my God. Anatoly Moskvin had been researching cemeteries for a new book he'd been writing. He was deeply interested in ancient Celtic Druid burial traditions and occult rituals. One of those traditions he was obsessed with was the practice of sleeping on the graves of lost relatives in order to communicate with their spirits. No. He'd begun to sleep on the graves of children, all of whom who had passed in some violent manner in order to communicate with them. He truly believed he had successfully achieved this, that he had made contact and had a deep connection with each child, knowing their names and their stories. So why did he take their bodies home? He decided that it wasn't practical to sleep on their graves all the time. He knew he'd get caught and be banned from the cemeteries. He'd be separated from the souls of the children he believed were his friends now. So he started digging up the bodies so he could take them home and sleep near them there. He mummified their bodies himself. He wrapped them in clothes, made wax masks to put on their faces, applied a large amount of makeup to disguise the fact that they were actual corpses. What was the end goal for all of this? Anatoly hoped that someday he would uncover, during his studies of the occult, a way in which to truly resurrect these children. 
When he was caught, he believed he was close to literally bringing them back to life. And he wasn't alone. His mother, Elvira, believed he had started to bring at least one of them back, Masha. She still thinks her son did not move her body the night before he was arrested. She wonders if had the officer not come that day, would she have discovered that Masha could do more than just move around on her own? Since shortly after his arrest, Anatoly has been staying involuntarily in a Russian psychiatric clinic. He could be released any day now, and is thought he will be released soon. Once free, will he resume his macabre studies? Will he pick up where he left off? Will he take his occult studies further? Will he actually bring someone back to life? Maybe not life as we know it and live it, but something in between true life and absolute death. If he makes another doll, another Masha, and it starts to move around on its own, what will be moving it? The spirit of a deceased child or something else entirely? Oh, that is so disturbing. Isn't that crazy? I, I mean, I pieced it together all of a sudden when he took the, when the officer took the clothes off of the, um, off the of doll, Masha. And again, he got weird. I was like, wait a second. What I thought you were going to say is that the dolls were made of human skin. Oh, which yeah. I mean, more or less. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? And that's a real story. That's a real story. So, yeah. So, we have some pictures here. This first picture is Anatoly uh, Moskvin. He so is handsome. Like you said in the beginning. And he he's looks a, completely a, yeah. regular. Extremely intelligent. Like, one of the books he uh, wrote or got published was a English to Russian dictionary. Like, he just – his grasp of language is just in, insane. That's really cool skill. Mm-hmm. And he's like uh, – and he's like – he was a local expert or – not even just local expert. I shouldn't say – like a Russian expert on like burial traditions, cemeteries. He was super interested, probably still is in the occult, yeah, yeah. and very, very academically intelligent. What an interesting combo. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just, uh, well, and then here's this next picture is, is of, uh, I believe, Masha, definitely one of his dolls. Oh, God. Okay, no thank you. Fucking no thank you. <sighs> that, 29 of them. That thing is so creepy uh one more picture of another doll this is yeah just uh one of again of the 29 oh my god okay so when we started this story i didn't realize Yikes. the size of them yeah they're the size of the people that i didn't know that dug up yeah I, yeah well yeah because obviously i didn't know the where we were going with this so i just thought like it was a doll like a doll right. like a 12 inch you know 24 inch right. doll right Oh my God! They're people, mm-hmm. and they range in age from like toddler, like like around three to early twenties. Actually, there was a couple that were like more like adults. What uh, the fuck? So I mean, that size of doll. I wonder. This is where my brain goes. I wonder how the families of these children. Oh uh, yeah. How do you I'm, deal with that? I'm sure you're not happy. Well. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. We think you're thrilled. Like, oh, thank you for <laughs> yeah. making my child oh, into a doll. Right, exactly. I'm well, no, I'm, I'm yeah. I know you feel the same way. Yeah. But I'm um, sure they're yeah, very upset. But I want I wonder how that works if they can cuz he, I, I, he's in a he's, he's involuntary in a, in a psych ward. I wonder if those families can press charges and get him back into jail. I don't think so. I mean, it is that thing of like desecrating a corpse. Yeah. I mean, there was like, you know, criminal charges. Yeah. But he didn't kill anybody. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, molest anybody because nobody he, you know, touched whatever right. made into was alive. Right, right, right. You brought up uh molestation. Were there accusations of him perf- performing necrophilia? Nope. Not, oh, not that okay. I saw. Okay. But I mean, you know, he's just like, he's in bed with these dolls. I mean, it's just, it's weird. It's it doesn't, weird. It yeah. doesn't seem to have been sexual. Yeah. Uh, some of the stories referenced him being like celibate. Hmm. Like he was like outwardly, like not a sexual person. 
but yeah, so, so strange. So bizarre. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of him being free soon. Yeah, and, and it is one of those weird things where it's like, you know, I don't think anybody has anything to worry about because no, he doesn't go after so. the living. It's just fucking weird. It's just but, disturbing. But I think, I do think things like, well, now that he's been in prison and that, you know, he's angry or not prison, he's been in um, psych care. Yeah. Like, what other ideas start forming in his head? And what if he gets really interested in the whole process of life to death? And then what if he does kidnap somebody and slowly kill them and drain their fluids? And I mean, yeah. Like, do some weird burial things. Who knows? Yeah, Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fucking creepy those dolls right why'd that just fall over i don't know well i don't care for that very much okay (laughs) you are out of here black-eyed child can't handle it i don't know what is going on there but you are not welcome here (laughs) just get tossed yeah yeah i don't even know where the other one is she's missing i I, I think i threw her at you a few weeks ago oh yeah when you were being a stink pot oh man Okay, I gave you some squishies to choose from. I didn't know what you were in the mood for this week. I'll, I'll, I'll try this little pumpkin head guy this time. Yeah, he's kind of fun. He's fun. fun. Mm-hmm. Who's he? Is he supposed to be any sort of character? No, he's just a pumpkin head monster. Okay. As far as I know. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, so like I said, I have three juicy tales this week. Um, okay. And I'm excited. Okay, so there's a theme, but I'm not going to give it away. I think you'll be able to piece it together on your own. Okay. Because I don't want to... Uh, lead you down a path that you might not be going. Okay. Okay. And all three stories written by female authors, which I think is fun, or female fans. Okay, fun. So, yeah, it just kind of happened that way, because mm-hmm. I don't read the names. I just read the stories. And I was like, yeah. oh, look, it's all women this week. Uh, this first one is a little bit of a quick hitter. Uh, so we're just going to dive right into it. All right. And this tale, it, it might be a dark entity, maybe like a shadow person thing, um, but it... it the, the premise is that it's who or what is it after. Okay. Very interesting. Hey, guys, love the podcast. Now, Thank here's you. my story, and maybe you'll decide to share it. When I was 16, my best friend died of cancer. Her two uncles were married to my dad's two sisters, so for a long time, we actually really thought we were family. We had known each other our entire lives. A typical teenager, I was devastated at first by the loss, but I also thought the world revolved around me. So a few years later, I was going to college, and after that, marriage and babies, and didn't think about her very often. I stayed in touch with her family and would see them a couple of times a year at family gatherings and so on. But I think I reminded them of their daughter and all the things that they were missing with her, and it was hard to stay close. By the time I had my own daughter, several years had gone by since my friend's passing. The entire family was getting together when my daughter was about two and a half years old. We lived about five hours away from the town my friend had lived in and at the time of this get-together, had lived in and the place of this get-together. My husband had to work, but my daughter and I went up to visit together. While we were in town, I wanted to go by the cemetery and leave some flowers since I had not been there since high school. It's just me and my daughter at the cemetery. We get out of the car and I'm putting flowers out while she's walking around and doing whatever. Because she was only two, I'd never really talked about my friend or death or cancer or any of those things to my daughter. Like I said, several years had passed and I had moved a few times, gotten married and so on. So I also had no pictures displayed at home of my friend. I've tried over the years to remember the smallest detail, but I can't think of any way that my two-year-old would have known about this particular friend. My daughter, who had never been to a cemetery before, suddenly said, Mommy, Mommy, I see your friend. 
Thinking another family member or family friend was there, I turned around, but no one was there. I told my daughter she was just being silly, playing tricks on her mom. She said, no, mommy, your friend with the red Uh. hair, she wants to tell you she's all better now. (laughs) I asked my daughter, what friend are you talking about? There's there's no one here, sweetheart. My daughter said she was sick and at the hospital. (laughs) Now she's gone. Bye bye. And she isn't sick anymore. Wow. I immediately got the chills and the goosebumps. My daughter had no way of knowing that my friend did, in fact, have red hair. I I had no other red-haired friends at the time, and no friends that had been sick with even a cold. When I turned back around to finish putting the flowers out, there were dragonflies all around her grave that had not been there a few seconds prior. Weird. My friend had loved dragonflies. She had dragonfly stickers that she put on everything, and her room had even been decorated with dragonfly theme. A very random detail that wouldn't have seemed otherwise significant. I've always been a skeptic, but I believe that she was there that day and wanted me to know she was okay. She'd been scared of dying and and that it would be painful. I'm just hopeful that her parents and sisters had some type of experience similar to mine to let them know that she's okay. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's a really cool story. Uh, yeah, I really loved it. It actually gave me a little bit of hope, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for what the other side could be. Because I think about, like, you know, I've lost plenty of family members in a variety of ways and friends. And it, it would be kind of nice to know that like, oh, okay. Like, yes, it was awful that you passed either mm-hmm. whether you were sick or there was some sort of tragic accident, but that you're okay now. Oh yeah. It'd be awesome to, to feel assured that that's, you know, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love stories like that. Yeah. So just a little bit of hope there. I thought that was a fun place to start. Yep. Um, okay. Now for our next story, it's also more of a kid seeing something. Um, but in this instance, we also have the parent either seeing it or feeling it. There's confirmation. Okay. And, you know, so I think it's interesting to explore that thought of whether or not kids are more apt to see things than we are. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about that a little bit, but what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. You know, I mean, it's like uh, the skeptic in me wants just to say that kids have bigger imaginations, Mm. the kids misunderstand things, that they, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm having trouble like articulating it like in this moment. But uh, yeah, the skeptical side of me just thinks that you know, kid, basically, just kids say weird shit. <laughs> and you know? yes, they do because they, they do. You know, yeah. they, and they make crazy claims. You know, they'll talk right. about having invisible friends. Right, they're kind of all over the place mm-hmm. with their uh, stories. But then you know, I know there's that other side of the, uh, where people who are more apt to believe a lot more of these stories will say that kids are more like open and they haven't been that's jaded. They're not as cynical. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's why they're able to see different things. So I, I don't, I vacillate between the two. Okay. I, I think I generally... I mean, like, that, that last story, how, how would the kid know those details? So I hear right. stories like that. I think like, well, maybe the, maybe the kid really did see something. And, and, if, and, if I, and I do believe that there's things out there now after hearing all these stories. Yeah. So why wouldn't kids be able to see them too? Yeah, right, right. I, I, I tend to believe more... The kids are just more open. They're mm-hmm. just not as jaded. They're not trying to push those thoughts out of their mind. They mm. don't. They're they're just more. Well, they're more accepting of people and life in general. So yeah. why wouldn't they be more accepting of the other side as well? And maybe they're not as scared of it. You know, I think about how kids have no uh, real sense of danger about right, certain things until right. you teach them. Yeah. You know, like a kid. Well, like I was a kid. You know, put my hand on a burner. It's like kids. Like, well, there'll be something hot. And they'll just want to go touch it. They're curious right. about it. You know, there'll be like some like a uh, predator, and they'll just like walk towards it. Right. Like at right. a park or a zoo. They're just like it doesn't until you until they see the fear that you have. Right. That a lot of times they don't even know they're supposed to be afraid of these things. 
things. Mm-hmm. So maybe a lot of kids don't know real early on that there's that they're quote unquote supposed to be afraid of ghosts, right? Or that there are things. things to be afraid of that are not just you know yeah. stranger danger and yeah. you know the lion at the zoo. Like if I saw something crazy, my my instinct would be to try and push it out of my mind, right. To get away from it. But if you're a little kid seeing that, you might just think, oh cool, well, you know, what's, what's that? that? What's that? Yeah. And like you know, like and go towards it. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's an interesting take. Well, here we go with this story. Hey, Lindsay, love the Scared to Death podcast. A coworker introduced me to it a few weeks ago, and I'm addicted. Yes. I wanted to tell my story, and I hope it really scares you to death. I was 38 weeks pregnant, huge, and tired. <laughs> it was around 2 a.m. when I awoke with the feeling of something watching me. I was lying in bed facing away from the door leading to our hallway. I suddenly felt the need to roll over. Standing in the doorway was this creature. It was all black, as tall as the doorway with long, bony fingers and long, sharp nails. It had big, sharp, pointy ears and dark black eyes. I remember that I was not actually afraid. I felt more like I had to be brave. It just stood there, not moving, while staring at me. I finally decided to ask it, what do you want? (laughs) This was a mistake, as now I had invited it in. It walked into the bedroom, right up to my side of the bed, and without speaking a word, it pointed to my stomach. Mm. Well, you can't have her. She is mine. Now go away. And it did just that. Now fast forward about six weeks. My daughter is three weeks old. I had to have an emergency C-section, and therefore her and I were camped out in the living room because the couch was the only thing I could get onto and off of with Uh. ease. This particular day, I was beyond exhausted. My daughter had just cried and cried and cried, and nothing I did would soothe her. Being a young, tired mom who just couldn't handle it anymore, I put her in her bouncy seat and strapped her in. I walked her to my bedroom and sat her on the floor and walked back to the couch to close my eyes while she cried. I just wait. I just wanted five minutes of quiet. I've all been there. <laughs> I must have dozed off briefly and suddenly awoke, realizing my daughter had finally stopped crying. Relieved because of the silence, I got up to check on her. What I saw next haunts me still to this day. There, in front of my bedroom door, was the black creature that had visited me. He spoke to me, but not out loud. No, it was it was more like he was in my head. I told you that I wanted her. Then he ran into the bedroom and slammed the door shut. My daughter began to scream louder than ever as I tried to open the door, but it was as if it were locked. I beat on it. I kicked on it. I did everything I could to get into that room. I yelled, please, please don't take her. Please take me instead. And in that moment, the door clicked, the sound of a door that unlocked. I rushed into the room to find my three-week-old daughter outside of her bouncy seat on the floor screaming. I picked her up and cried for hours. I never told anyone about this because I felt as though they would not believe me. This would be the last time I would see this creature, but my daughter, she has met him. When she was six years old, I bought our very first house. She was so excited, as was I. She could not wait to sleep in her new bedroom. Everything was perfect. Three months after moving into the house, I woke up early one morning to get ready for work, and as I passed my daughter's bedroom, I noticed her door was closed. I didn't think much of it except for the fact that she hated her door being closed at bedtime. It had to stayed had to stay wide open, otherwise she was scared. I didn't think anything else about it until bedtime the next day. I tucked her in and gave her a kiss goodnight. As I started to leave the room, I propped the door open and she said, Mommy, mommy, please close my door tonight. 
I said, but why? Are you no longer afraid? And she said, no, mommy, I am scared. I am scared for it to be open. Okay, why are you afraid of it being open? I asked. And she said, mommy, I don't want it to take me. I said, who? What's going to take you? The black alien thing. He wants to take me away. And if I leave my bedroom door open anymore, it will be allowed to take me. It can't come in my room when the door is closed. I called my grandmother and grandfather, who are very religious, to bless our house and rid it of anything bad or evil. I didn't explain any further as to why, just that I felt it was the right thing to do in our new home. And so they did. And now my daughter is almost eight and has never mentioned seeing the black creature again. She still, to this day, will only sleep in her room with the door closed. I go into her room every night to check on her, and the thing has not shown up. Not to me, and not to her. Sincerely, Allie. Thanks, Allie. Interesting, huh? That is interesting. Yeah, that, that story really gave me uh, the, the chills. How weird. Mm-hmm. And what, and what, a, what a weird thing that would be, um, like, you know, the door shutting. <sighs> like, we talk about, like, not knowing, like, rules. And uh, No, no at, at the end, where she wanted the door shut so the thing couldn't come in if the oh, door was open. Oh, not yeah. That, that, yeah, not the time before that gave me the chills. But, uh, like, how kind of funny in a weird way that if they're, like, let's say these creatures are real, they're out there, there's, like, this demon-y thing. But it actually can't open the door if you shut it. I know. Isn't that funny? I mean, because, you know, whatever. If, if we're going the the route of, you know, anything's possible, why not? Yeah. I just think I think that's awesome that there could be these crazy entities out there, but also uh, maybe sometimes easy ways to keep them from harming you. Right. Right. Like, we just don't know what their their code of ethics is. Right. Right. Like, shut the door. Uh, don't put, shut the door. Uh, lights on. Lights off. Salt around you. A circle of salt around right. you. Where this, this like, powerful why? thing is like, ah, dang it. Yeah. You know? Oh, I can't cross the salt line. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, a, like a union picket line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. It, it is interesting. I just thinking on like kids being more open to things. Yeah. What's to say that babies in utero aren't also susceptible to it? Ugh, like, can you be born haunted? Yeah, have to like, be, attached to you or something? I mean, yeah, could you be born possessed? Thought, yeah, yeah who knows? Yeah, that's crazy. Thought. I, I, yeah, I didn't think about it. Well, I'm ready to wrap up my uh, three-story banger. So, obviously, <laughs> the theme is kid-related kind of stories. I like your lingo today. Quick hitters, bangers. I'm on a roll. <laughs> you better watch you, out. You are. You're on fire. I like it. Um, but I love this story. The title in the email was the room that mommy kept locked. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's fucking creepy. What's going on in that room? Mm -hmm. And so I am curious what that even makes you think. The room that mommy kept locked. <sighs> I mean, I, I, I would think that there is an entity that's been spotted in that room numerous times that, uh, that mom is worried about okay. and doesn't want anybody else encountering. That's, okay. my, that's my guess. That sounds like motherly instincts mama bear protection mm -hmm. let's find out what's going on hey Lindsay, i love how the emails are just addressed to me <laughs> this is okay they know i'm the one that reads them i have finally grown the lady balls to write into scared to death <laughs> and share my story with you guys and all the creeps and peepers out there i've listened to every episode of scared to death and i love what you guys are doing keep up the great work anyways i hope you all find my story as scary as it was when it happened at the time of this story i was eight my sister was 12, and my little brother was four. I'm going to leave our names out of the story to respect my now adult siblings' privacy. Years ago, my mom, stepdad, little brother, and older sister moved into a cute four-bedroom home in a small city in, you guessed it, Indiana. Apparently the most haunted state, I swear to God. <laughs> I know, there are so many stories. So many! It's mm -hmm. like, of all these Indiana creeps and peepers need to get together. 
The master bedroom was downstairs, leaving three bedrooms and a loft area upstairs. When we first looked at the house, I remember being so excited that all three of us kids were finally going to get our own rooms. My mom went along with the excitement, even letting us call dibs on which rooms we wanted. My sister, being the oldest, picked the largest room. I picked one across the hall from hers, which left my little brother with the room down the hall. This room was pretty average sized for a bedroom, but for some reason it had no windows, even though one of the walls was an exterior wall and could have easily had at least one window. My little brother didn't care, though. He was going to have a big closet for all of his toys. (laughs) However, my excitement soon faded when we actually moved into the home and my mom had moved all of mine and all of my brother's things into my room. I got over it quickly and got used to sharing a room again. She said that my little brother wasn't quite big enough to have his own room. She said she was going to use the extra room for storage and changed the door handle to one that locked and could only be unlocked with the key that she kept on her key ring. Months went by in that house and the only strange things that ever happened were that my little brother started sleepwalking and also started waking up in the night often and asking to sleep in my bed with me because he was scared. Things got a little, things got really weird one day when I walked upstairs after school and found my little brother trying to break into the extra room with a butter knife. You could tell he had been at it for a while because there were pretty deep marks on the door handle and the door near the handle where he'd been digging with the knife. I asked him why he was doing that and he just said, I really want to play in there. It's going to be so fun. I took the knife away and told him to leave the door alone because our mom would be mad that he put marks on the, on the door. About a month later, I woke up to find my brother sobbing, only this time he wasn't in our room. For some reason, he was out in the loft area, which was directly across from the spare room, under a blanket on our futon. He asked me if I would lay with him, and and I told him just to come back to our room and lay down in bed with me. He said, no, sissy, I can't go back to our room. He won't let me. You have to stay out here with me. I figured he was just freaked out from some bad dream and sleepwalking. So I turned off the light and crawled under the blanket with him, and he fell asleep pretty quickly. I, on the other hand, soon began to feel all the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I rolled over slowly to try and see what could be causing me to feel that way, and across from the extra room where you would turn right to go down the hallway towards my room, I saw a large, black, shadowy mass dart around the corner into the hallway. I was freaked out, but stayed put because I didn't want to have to pass whatever that thing was to go to my room. I hid under the blanket and eventually convinced myself that it was nothing and that I was just spooked because of what my brother had said earlier. I uncovered my face and looked toward the hallway again, and initially, I saw nothing. However, moments later, just as I was feeling a sense of relief, about three quarters of the way to the ceiling, I saw two hands Uh. with long, black, shiny claws curl around the corner of the hallway, followed by a black, misty, human-like face with bright, glowing green eyes looking down at us. I locked eyes with it for what felt like an eternity, frozen in fear. I could not move, and no matter how much I wanted to scream and run away, I was paralyzed. Finally, I gained enough control of myself to cover up my brother and I with the blanket, and I held onto him for dear life. Somehow, I did end up falling asleep that night and awoke the next morning to my sister asking why we had slept in the loft. I told her that our brother had been sleepwalking again, and I wanted to make sure he didn't get hurt. We then noticed that the door to the extra room was slightly ajar. She assumed that my brother had finally broken into it, but he swore that he hadn't. 
My sister reached her hand around the door without really looking and locked the handle from the inside and shut it because she didn't want her brother to be in trouble. I, however, was petrified because I was sure that whatever my brother and I had come into contact with the night before had escaped from that room. It seemed like my brother had no memory of what had happened. He continued on being his general happy-go-lucky four-year-old self. We moved just a few months later, and I never mentioned what I saw that night to anyone until I was an adult. One night, while visiting my mom, she and I got onto the subject of paranormal experiences, and I told her all about that night. She looked white as a sheet and was speechless. She hesitated before telling me that when she and my stepdad were moving into that house, she began moving my brother's things into the extra room, as planned, but kept getting a very ominous and frightening vibe from the room. At one point, they went downstairs and then heard a door slam upstairs. Sure enough, it was the door to that room. They, bo- they both knew that there had only been, they had been the only people in the house, and thus it really scared them. It was then that she decided to put a lock on the door and move my brother's things into my room. She just had this feeling something bad would happen if she left, let him in there. She then told me that when we were moving out, she went into that room to retrieve some things that she had stored in there and was terrified at what she found. There were what looked like deep scratches on the inside of the door as if something had tried to claw its way out. God. What? What? That's creepy. That ending detail with the what the mom told her too. Yeah. And like did okay, did her little brother like finally like in his like sleepwalking like open up that door somehow and, and truly let something out? Right. And I could just picture when she said, you know, and I just saw these hands come around the corner. Yeah. You know, you can just like and then it and then it goes. Is the theme Ooh. doors? No, the theme is little kids. Oh yeah, little kids. Little kids that see stuff. Yeah. Oh, that is the theme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How weird. That is so weird. What if I just put a lock on our on our guest room? Yeah, just do I it. didn't explain why. Oh, just, my God. There, there's no way I would let, go, let that go, though. Okay, I, what I, if I was like, oh, I'm just storing some stuff in there. Uh, just some, some future presents for you and the kids that I don't want anybody to get into. If I just made up some bullshit story. And then, weird. and then somebody came to stay with us and was like, hey, what's up with the scratch marks? Oh, my God. Yeah. As if I'd be able to keep that a secret from well, you. Sure, sure. This is nothing that would ever happen in our lives. No, but like, uh, it makes me think about like when I was a kid. If your parents, you know, like if I, like if all of a sudden we had this. I mean, <laughs> we we never had a house like like a place big enough where you where anyone would consider shutting off one of the rooms. Right, right, right. Like we never lived in some big like big craftsman or anything. But I'm just yeah. picturing like if I was a kid, if I was living in this big house that had like multiple floors mm-hmm. and like one of the rooms was just always just locked off, don't go in there. Oh my yeah. that would freak me out. That would we I would be obsessed with wanting to know what was inside of that place. And then if my mom told me that years later, I mean, yeah, that's going to haunt you. Yeah, we we lived in this um rancher on a basement it was the house that I grew up in. Yeah. It's the house that like my parents' divorce happened in. My dad moved out. I was still there with my mom and my brother. And in the, but before, like my mom had, the divorce had been filed, but they hadn't like decided who was going to stay or go. Yeah. And in our basement, it was a half, which is half finished basement, which is a very like yeah. Midwest thing, I feel like. And so on the half that was finished, there was this wall. It was, our basement was already creepy, but there was this wall and it had two 
or three like huge closets. It was kind of like a bizarre setup for a mm-hmm. basement because they were like clothing closets, not, you know, closets with like shelves. It wasn't just some storage. And above it, it had this curtain um, and, and you could store stuff up there. And then on either side, it had these two shelving shelved closet and the one all the way to the left at some point my mom put a lock on it ah. and i was like what the fuck like literally <laughs> why what did the she fuck? put the lock on it uh it's like a pretty personal story about oh, some gotcha. stuff that happened okay. during my parents divorce so i just yeah. like don't think this is the appropriate sure space. just like some but, things you want people seeing but not right. like but not paranormal not paranormal nah. but i will say yeah. i will say it's very strange that house after my dad moved out that house became very angry it was like, and I would, I was freaked out all the time. I was convinced something was in that house. Um, and at some point we had our pastor come over and bless the house because I was hmm. so certain, but it was just a weird series of events. Like parents are filing for the divorce, lock on the thing, yeah. priest bless them, yeah, like yeah. dad moves out. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was more to it than, yeah. than what she ever told me. Mm-hmm, maybe. And my mom's a big scaredy cat. So, ay 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 caramba. Should we talk to our Annabelles and give them yes. some some thanks and praise? Who who first today? Oh, I'll go first today. Okay, okay that's fun. Thanks, Dan. Mm-hmm. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting the show: Taryn Garrett, Sam and Jared Mannon, Taylor Hahn, Shelley and Carl. Which, if I'm remembering correctly, I have this vague recollection that they are a couple that has been together like a really long time, like a cute couple, maybe in their fifties or sixties. Anyways, I'd like to thank Jill C. Justin, no last name, Alessandro Friedrich, Melissa Tusick, Christine Mefford, Rachel Lutz, Kyle Krug, Amanda Denkler, R. Falk. So it's like R. Period Falk. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Danny. Falk, maybe. Falk? 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 Falk. Danny. Mm, I should give him this one to you. Danny Ghani and Austin Perry. Nice. Thank you, all all of you, Annabelles. And then uh, also thank you to the following Annabelles, Casey Taylor, Harrison Geeson, Amber Boudinot, uh, Marilyn Coffey, Derek, no last name given, Heather Schnau, Emily Fisher, Reed Brady, Eric Kofod, uh, uh, Kimberly McNatt, Megan Gilbert, or Megan, Megan Gilbert, Sydney Carpenter, Angelina Fuentes, uh, Katie Murphy, and Jeffrey Delzeet. Do you think that it was you said Boudinot? Bo- it's, yeah, it's it's uh, or Boudinot. It's uh, yeah, I thought it was Boudinot. Maybe Boudinot. Yeah, I guess that'd I be French, no, huh? B o u d i n o t. I think it would Boudinot. be n o i t if it was no Boudinot. So I think you're right, Boudinot. Okay. I don't know. Let us know. And, and it's and it's so interesting on those kind of things too. A lot of times when it's you know like French or mm-hmm. certain European, and then it gets Americanized. Yeah, it, it's one thing over in oh sure over in that country, but just like just like we've talked about before, like you know Lima, Peru, Lima, Ohio. You know, like right, those kind right. of things. I had one actually that I forgot. I don't know if I put in an update for Time Suck, but it was um, I it was written it's spelled Arkansas. And it's a river. It's like it, it's spelled. If you looked at it, it's like okay, Arkansas River. Mm-hmm. But when that river, I guess, is a, it runs in Kansas, Arkansas River. Funny. And someone's like, "Oh, you mispronounce this." I'm like, "Who the fuck would ever know that? If they, unless they were, you know, there, right? And it heard it because it's one of our states, and it's spelled exactly the same, but attached to a river that happens to be that's also near that state. That's but weird. it's just funny where people like decided like, nope, not in this state. It's not Arkansas. It is our Kansas. That is funny. You think they could have changed it to O U R, our Kansas? Mm-hmm. Somebody funny. was adamant. That is not how we're going to say it. We don't do it that way here. 
Uh, and that is, uh, oh no, it's booby shout outs. Oh, oh my goodness. My good God, how over. could you? I got all, uh, you got hot under the collar about Arkansas. <laughs> I would like to give some spooby shout outs to Quentin from Michaela. Happy birthday. This is cute. To Dominique from Jordan. He still has strong feelings for you and wants to know if you'll be his girlfriend again. It's Aww. very cute. Uh, for the very last time ever, to Honey Much from Weasel. Happy anniversary. We Last week it was the reverse. This is it. They've both got <laughs> okay. anniversaries, okay. birthdays. <laughs> it is hysterical to me. <laughs> uh, to Hayden Lynn from your dad, Jared, love you. And to Sal and Rebecca from Danny, congrats on your wedding. And we got the cutest. I love this. I was laughing so hard when we got this in the mail. Not because of what it is, but the note that came with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tegan Lynn Colby sent us her 2021 like graduation announcement, which you, I'm sure you, uh, I'm sure you never did these. No. You'd, you'd be like, what's that? But this note cracked me up. Dear Dan and Lindsay. I know that it's probably odd to get a graduation announcement from some girl in Wyoming. However, I do have a decently valid reason. I had extras and told my mom I was going to send them to some famous people. And she said that that was a bad idea. So like a true teenager, I am sending one to you guys. And I hope you get this letter. Uh, And I hope it gives you both a laugh. I listen to Scared to Death every week. And it's been keeping me going the past uh, these last few weeks of school. So this was a perfect way to say thank you for all the laughs and scares. I hope this reaches you both and you don't find it too odd. Your loyal listener, Tegan. Oh, Tegan, we liked it. I thought that was hysterical. That is, I would say the same thing to my mom. She'd be like, why would you do something like that? I'm like, because. Why not? Why not? Yeah. And there you go. So, it's very sweet. It. I know. I love it. And that is all for today. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared to death podcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scared to death podcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith on social media and uh, doing the badmagicmerch.com merch designs. Producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation. Joe Paisley and Zach Flannery for producing, directing. Uh, it was Joe today. Uh, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Uh, special thanks to new horror tale finder Sarah Finch over in the UK. Good job, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to see the show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want even more content at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, moderated by Liz Hernandez. And if you want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes and more, check out Patreon to uh, to become a Robert or an Annabelle. And enjoy your nightmares. Most of all, Creeps and Peepers, hope you were scared to death. Bye, guys. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. 
What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 